Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, well, good morning. How are we? Yeah, everybody doing good this morning? All right, it's a chilly morning this morning, isn't it? That's what happens when you live in Texas. You never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get. But it is a good morning to see you all here. It's a great morning to get to worship with you. For those worshiping online, we're thankful for you. Uh, This morning, we're going to continue our series, All In. And we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5. As you're turning there, I do have a quick warning for you. I have a quick warning. This morning could be a bit tough. We're going to discuss some hard things. We're going to discuss some maybe controversial things. But listen to me, they need not be. Okay, they need not be. We're going to tackle tackle the question, how can we be all in for one another? Now, by necessity of that, we need to talk about some ways where we have maybe failed to be all in for one another. And we need to talk about the ramifications of that, but ultimately the goal is that we would talk about how can we as a church, First Baptist Belton, the people of God, and the local expression that we know as First Baptist Belton, how can we be all in with one another? So we ready? Everybody good? So only eight of you, y'all, y'all are nervous, aren't you? You don't, you don't need to be nervous. This is going to be great. We're going to have fun. We're going to do, we, it's going to be just fine. Nehemiah chapter 5. So at this point, people are working diligently. All is going incredibly well. Momentum is being built. Things are happening until they're not. That's how it works, right? Everything's going, momentum's good. Everybody's happy. Everybody's doing really well until all of a sudden, all the momentum comes to a halt. And that's where we find ourselves this morning in verse 1 of chapter 5. So go ahead and pick up your Bible. Look there with me. The text says that there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Notice that, against their Jewish brothers. The outcry is against them. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now notice this in verse 5. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children just as their children. And yet, so there's a difference, right? And yet, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. And I want you to notice in verse 6, Nehemiah's response. The text says that he was very angry when he heard their outcry and these words. And so it, it put a deep sense of anger, an emotion of anger in his heart when he heard the outcry of the injustice that was taking place in Jerusalem. And so here's what I want to do. I want to briefly summarize what's going on in Jerusalem. Well, first and foremost... The people of God are experiencing a great deal of economic unrest. You have to understand that there was a famine that swept through the land, and unfortunately, their land was not producing what they needed to survive. 
And so as a result, they were having to sell off their land, right? They were uh, mortgaging their homes all in order to have food. They're selling their children into slavery to pay off the debt. This was pretty bad shape. But secondly, and, and maybe worst of all, is that in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of what all is happening in their world, they are being exploited and taken advantage of by the wealthy among them. So it's the people of God in Jerusalem who have actually become their very own enemy. And so the question that we have to answer this morning was, what is the core issue? What's the core issue happening in Jerusalem? And, and I think that the greatest problem is that rather than working together and being all in for one another, they had failed to be all in. They had failed to be all in first and foremost with God, and then as an overflow of that, they had failed to be all in with one another. They're all about getting the work done, but they failed to get the work done together, and it's created a horrible problem. And so rather than pushing against the enemy that we talked about last week, remember that? We talked about the enemy is not us in this room. It's not culture. It's not innovation. It's not change. It's, it's not the secular world. That's not our enemy. Our enemy is who? Y'all, y'all took notes. How about that? Y'all listen to what I say? Well, that's good. I can, I can sleep good at night. Yeah, the, the enemy is Satan. It's not us, but instead, rather than pushing against the true enemy, they made enemies out of one another. And you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but all throughout history, you know, history is a great indicator of, fu- of the future, right? And if you look back on history, you know who the greatest opponent to the work of God has been historically? Anybody know? The people of God. It goes all the way back to Old Testament Israel. You know, during the monarchy, when things started going south and the people didn't like what the prophets had to say, what happened? They killed them. It was not those outside, but within who killed the prophets. You know, perhaps, uh, per- perhaps the philosopher uh, Pogo said it best. He said, we have met the enemy, and he is us. Y'all remember that cartoon? We have met the enemy, and he is us. And so here's the question that I have for us that I want us to answer. I've got two questions. First question that I want to ask is, what are some of the ways that we, too, have failed to be all in with one another? So what are some ways, and another way to put that, so what are some, one of the, some of the ways that we have uh, allowed the enemy to come within the ranks of the people of God, so to speak, and allowed us to uh, become distracted and then distorted God's calling for you and me? What are some of those ways? There's probably about a hundred of them. I picked out ten, and I picked out the most controversial ones. Is that okay? I really didn't. I'm just teasing you. There's only three that are bad. It'll be fine. We're going to be fine together, okay? We're going to do this all in together. Well, one of the ones that I was thinking about was appearance. You know, oftentimes we can allow appearance, people's appearance, to distract and distort God's calling on our life, can't we? Right? I was meeting with a, a young couple, young family who visited our church just a couple of weeks ago and went, had breakfast and had coffee and, and I was just trying to hear their story, get to know them, and, and see how they enjoyed our church. And he said, you know what, Logan, I really struggled. He said, when I walked in the door, he said, you know, I, I looked around, and, and unfortunately, I just didn't see a whole lot of people that looked like me. He said, you know, I, I had a button-up. They all had blazers or suits. You know, I have tattoos. They don't. 
you know, I, I'm young, I, I like a certain kind of music. It seems like they don't. And so all of a sudden, he felt like an outcast in the church of God. See, sometimes we allow our appearance and what we look like and how we're dressed and, and all of those things, while it's all good, all good, our Sunday best is good, sometimes we can allow those things to distort and distract us from what God has called us to do, and that's to be a welcoming and inviting family. Right? So here's another one. Status, preferences, interests. You know, it's funny, interests, when we start talking about interests, uh, back years ago when we were in Fort Worth, uh, Jordan and I had just moved there, and we, had, we, di- we didn't know anybody. We, we didn't have jobs. We didn't have anything. We just said, okay, God, you're calling us to ministry, so we went there to study at Southwestern Seminary, and uh, we went to a church, and this group of young couples and young, young families invited us to be a part of their, young, or their, their life group. And uh, so we went, and it was awesome. We had a great time, except for the fact that I looked at Jordan, and I said, babe, I don't relate to any of these people. Please don't make me go. I was like, babe, I can't do it. And she said, no, we have to do it. You know, we've got to do this. We've got to be connected to the church. And I'm like, I know, I know, I know. And so we did. We got connected to the church. And after two years of painstakingly her having to beg me to go every week, those people became our best and closest friends. Do you want to know why? The blood of Christ supersedes our interests and our hobbies. Right? There is a tie that you and I have in Christ that we don't have apart from Him. Our tie to one another who are in Christ is even stronger than our familiar tie, familial ties. Right? So interests. Here's another one. Politics. I know I said it. I said it. Politics. Yes, it's a big one. In a recent article, op-ed writer, a guy named David Brooks, I've followed him for years. This guy, I'm not sure if he's a Christian. I don't know if he's not a Christian. I'm not sure where he's at, but listen to what he says. In this recent article, he says, or he observes that Christians have allowed their allegiance to politicians to overshadow their allegiance to Jesus. So I want you to hear this, okay? So this is a guy writing from the outside, looking in, and he's making an observation, and he said, if we're not careful... We can allow our allegiance to a politician or to an ideal, no matter how good or bad that is, to supersede that of our allegiance to Christ. His point is, is that we should be a Christian first, involved in politics second. That's his point. And his argument is, is that many folks are leaving the church in droves because they look at the landscapes of Christians and they see, quite frankly, how nasty we are to each other when it comes to politics. That's the reason why we have all of this that's going on in the SBC right now. The SBC is completely divided based on what some people think is true and what other people think are true. And I think what Jesus would say is, hey, we're to be one. We're to be unified. Here's another one, right convictions, wrong convictions. Here we go. I'm going to get on your toes a little bit, okay? You have to forgive me. A great example of this, guys, would be masks and vaccines, Did y'all hear that? (laughs) Guys, it's been stressing me out all week, so you can just enter into my stress here, okay? Right convictions, wrong convictions. Guys, when it comes to masks and vaccines, guys, why in the world does it matter who wears a mask? And why does it matter who or who doesn't get a vaccine? Why have we been so nasty to one another all in regards to a mask or a vaccine? 
We have allowed those things to distract and distort us from God's calling on our life, and that is to love Him, to love people, and to see that His kingdom is advanced on this earth, whether we wear a mask or not. Okay. I like that. We need to generate a little bit more of that. Y'all can talk to me. It's all right. It's okay. Because really, when did we get in the business of determining who is loving their neighbor and who is not loving their neighbor? And guys, when did we take on the responsibility that, that we're just fine not loving our neighbors? Right? We cannot, nor should we ever be the Holy Spirit for our brothers and sisters. There's one Holy Spirit, and He is really, 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 really good at His job. Okay? So we can leave that up to Him, and it's okay. We can entrust that over to Him and say, you know what, God? Your calling on me is to love you, to love my neighbor. I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to listen to your calling. And if you call me to do this, then I'm going to do it. But there's no reason for us to judge one another. We've got to be all in for one another. Here's another one, social media. God bless social media. This is kind of an overflow of everything else we've been talking about. See, thanks to Facebook, right? We now have an opportunity to be able to post any and all of our opinions for the whole world to see with little to no accountability. Please tell me you see a problem with that. I'm, a young, I'm in the young generation, and I'm telling you, there's a problem with social media. There's a huge problem with that. Because you know what, guys? I love you. I love you. Not all of your opinions and not all of your convictions are accurate. <laughs> I, I'm just telling you, they're not. You know what? And, and, and quite frankly, that's the reason why I don't have a Facebook I just learned that, you know what, maybe it's unhelpful for me, maybe it's distracting and distorting from God's mission in my life for me to get online and post any and everything I think is right. And by the way, who cares what everybody ate for lunch? <laughs> like, right? I mean, the, like, what in the world have we come to? You know, and so social media has become a problem where we distract and we can oftentimes to distort the very mission that God has called us into. You know, I was meeting with another family and, and, and guys, this is, just, just, this is us just hanging out in my living room, and we're just talking about real life. And, and he said, you know, man, I, uh, I would love to come to your church, but quite frankly, I've seen what, what some of the members of First Baptist Belton that I know post on Facebook, and, and I just can't be a part of that. Guys, I'm sorry, but that cannot be okay. That can't be okay. See, we allow social media, we allow these different platforms to distract and distort us from what God has called you and I to as we seek to advance the kingdom of God. There's some other ones, ability and mobility issues, spirituality, age, race. We can go on and on and on and on and on, but here's what I want us to think about. Here's what I want us to think about. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Out of everything he could have said, y'all, Jesus could have said a whole lot. He could have listed out the Ten Commandments. He could have listed out, you name it. He could have, made, he could have said, you know what? Here's the greatest commandment, that you, you literally memorize the Bible. He could have said, you know what? That you have every doctrine right and you're truthful in everything you said. He could have said all that. But you know what he said? He said that you would love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And then the overflow of that is, guess what? We would love one another as ourselves. And so the next part, second half of this, is I want us to answer the question, how do we do that? Right? How do you and I move forward as the people of God and be all in for one another? How do we push back against those things that would distort and distract us from God's calling in our life? 
How can you and I be all in with one another? I think there are four ways. So for those of you taking notes, there's four ways. And here's the first one. You ready? The first one, we have got to listen to one another. We've got to listen to one another. We've got to be slow to speak, quick to. Come on, quick to. Quick to. Are we really going to do this four times? We need to be slow to speak, quick to. Listen, thank you. We need to be quick to listen, to understand one another. You know, perhaps the greatest thing that Christians face is that we are so busy. By the way, when did busyness become like a standard of like, like social capital? It's like if you don't say you're busy, then you're lazy, right? We kind of live in that culture right now where busyness is this priority. If I'm not busy, well, then everybody's going to think I'm lazy. We're so busy that we won't just take time to say, hey, you know what? I really want to learn you. I want to learn about you. I want to understand you. And I want to seek to learn your opinion and, and, and help me understand what's going on in your world. We're so busy that we fail to be all in for one another. You know, just like Nehemiah in this text, what you know before is, right, he's so busy with the work of God, right, that he, some, he oftentimes we can forget the people of God. We become so convinced of our own opinions that we choose not to listen to one another. And you know what we do there? When we do that, we fail one another. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. In his book, The Rise and Triumphant of Triumph, I'll get it there, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, a guy named Carl Truman, great guy, strong Christian man, he diagnoses this problem. He says that what we are facing today is a serious generational misunderstanding. Hear that? Generational misunderstanding. That is one of the key reasons why I wanted us all in the room. I wanted everybody in here. Why? Because you and I are facing a generational misunderstanding when, quite frankly, we're all on the same we all have the same intentions. We all have the same desire, desires. There's just two different roads right now that are getting us there. Here's what I mean by that. You have, in general, this is him arguing, in general, right? This is generalities. We're talking about generalities, okay? This is not true for everybody, but in general, he would argue that for those who are 55 and older, see the world with a particular lens. They see the world with a particular lens. He would argue that 55 and down see the world with a completely different lens. Take church as an example. Church is a great example. For most of us who are 55 years and older, when it comes to picking out a church, we come for the preaching. Would you agree? Yeah, if the preaching is good, if it's sound, and you know we can, we can tolerate less than ideal music so long as we have the good old hymns. Can I get an Amen. Amen, there it is. I knew it. I knew it was in there. Right. That's not a bad thing. That's just the way that oftentimes we see the world. It's, it's, it's okay, right? When it comes to 55 and down, they see the world just a little bit differently. And you know what? It's not right. It's not wrong either. 55 and down, they come more than likely for the worship. If the worship is really, really good, you know what they'll do? They'll tolerate less than good preaching. I know. I know, it's terrible. It's terrible. But they will. And you know what? It's because the worship was good, right? They're not nearly as concerned with what the building looks like. 
They're concerned more with the function of the building. They see things like, well, Jesus led you know, thousands of people under a tree. Why in the world does it matter if we have pews or stained glass windows? For those older, man, if I show up to a church, I want it to feel and look like a church because that does something for me. Either side is right or wrong. But that's the way we see the world. And so we've got to learn to listen to one another. We've got to learn to understand one another. Another great example of that is when we come to tithing. I said it. <laughs> tithing, yes. For 55 and up, you know what? Man, the Bible says we are to tithe, so by goodness, we are going to tithe. They were raised in that great generation that just said, if the, if the Bible says to do it, then we are going to do it. And praise God for that. That's amazing. That's a great thing. For those who are 55 and down, oftentimes we'll say, oh, well, they just don't give. That's not true. They do give. As a matter of fact, they're incredibly generous. But they want to give to what they see making an impact in the world. That's the difference. It's not that they don't want to give. College students would be a great example. Just uh, last year, we had our fall retreat coming up, and there were a handful who could not make it and couldn't, couldn't pay for it. You see, you know what we did? They didn't know this was coming. And on one single night, I said, hey, you know what? Why don't you guys sacrifice? I'd love to see y'all sacrifice so that some of your friends could go to fall retreat. And you know what we did? We raised $1,800 in a single night with them not even knowing that we were going to do it to send somebody to fall retreat. Why? Because they had been impacted by fall retreat and they wanted somebody else to experience that too. It's not that they don't want to give. They just want to give to what they see making an impact in the world which is all the more reason why you and I have to be all in with God, all in with one another, so that we can make an impact on the world. If we want to raise up the next generation to take their stand, then that's what we've got to do. We've got to be making an impact. Because if we're not, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. So all that being said, we've got to be for one another. In order to do that, we've got to listen to one another and seek to understand one another and then Secondly, I was going to give you three, but this is second. We've got to bear one another's burdens. Maybe you recall the New Testament. Jesus spends a lot of time talking about that. We need to bear one another's burdens. And that just simply means that we can't just listen, but we've got to be empathetic. And by the way, empathy is not something that comes natural in our home. Like we, Jordan and I, we just struggle with empathy. It's hard for me to be empathetic. And yet, what the Bible calls us to do is to listen to somebody who I might not agree with and go, you know what, I don't agree with you, but goodness gracious, I'm going oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bear your burden. I'm going to try to understand. I'm going to seek to learn from you. I'm going to seek to understand. In Nehemiah's case, he took on the burdens of the people and he began seeking a solution. You can see this in verse 6 in his response. Right, he hears about all that's happening, and what does he do? He becomes angry, and then he gets to work. He becomes angry, and he gets to work. And you see that in verse 10. Nehemiah literally says to the leaders, he says, hey, you know what? If y'all aren't going to change this, if y'all aren't going to do something about it, then you know what? I'm going to step into it. I'm going to help them. And in verse 10, he says, I and my brothers and my servants, well, then we're going to lend them money. We're going to lend them grain. We're going to take care of the people. So Nehemiah, he didn't just listen he begins to enter into their burden and he begins to provide for them. He sacrifices them. And hear this, he sacrifices for them because that's what love requires of him. That's what true love does. Love doesn't just seek to advance one's position. 
Love seeks to listen and to sacrifice one's position for the greater good of one another. It requires a sacrifice. Speaking of this, C.S. Lewis, he beautifully writes this. I hope you listen to it. It's really, really good. Everything C.S. Lewis writes is really good. Y'all notice that? He's got to be the most often quoted person. But here's what he says. He says, to love all is to be vulnerable. He says, love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly even broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. All my animal lovers, did y'all hear that? (laughs) Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock your heart up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, he says, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, and hear this, irredeemable. But guys, this is not the Christian way, is it? It's not the Christian way. That's not what Christ calls us to. According to Jesus, it's that, we, it's that the world would know us by our love for one another, by the way we care for one another, by the way we bear each other's burdens, by the way we sacrifice for one another. The world will know us by our love for each other. But you know what else? The world will also want nothing to do with us by our love or lack thereof for one another. They'll want nothing to do with us. Guys, you, you don't think that the watching world is watching us? You don't think that the secular world is watching every move we make? They would love nothing more to see us be hateful to each other. Because you know what they'll do? Oh, well, man, watch them. That's how we know this is not true. You don't think the watching world is watching the Southern Baptist Convention right now? You bet they are. You want to know how I know? Twitter. All you got to do is look at Twitter. Twitter is another form of social media for those of you who do not know. Um, it is also something I would tell you to run from. It's a terrible wormhole. But the watching world is watching the way that you and I love one another. And guys, if we don't get it together, they're not going to want anything to do with us. They're not going to want anything to do with us. Number three, we need to reorient our worship. We need to reorient our worship. Two different places, Nehemiah mentions right worship as the answer to the injustice that's taking place for them. This is great. In verse 9, just after he addresses the leaders, he scolds them for what is happening, and then he asks them a great question. I want you to look there in verse 9. What does he ask? Nehemiah said, the thing that you were doing is not good. He just lays the hammer. He said, hey, this is not good. And then he asks this question. He says, Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Essentially, he's asking, Hey, is the fear of God not the answer to all of this nonsense? In other words, is the worship of God, the right worship of God, not the answer to all this nonsense? By the way, did you not notice that I put all in for God or all in with God as the first thing? Why? Because if we're not right here, we won't be right at any of the other points. Listen, if you are not walking with God, if you are not actively pursuing Him, 
Pursuing His Spirit and asking Him to give you wisdom. If you're not actively pursuing Him through the Word, you are failing to be all in with Him. And it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to love the people in this room if you're not already here. I need you here. We need you here. Our community needs you here. If we can't get this right, this is going to fail every single time. Your devotion to the Lord matters. It's not an expectation that 30% of us are walking with the Lord. It is the expectation that all of us are walking with the Lord. Call it legalism. I'm just saying what Jesus has already said. His demand is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and then you'll be rightly proportioned to love one another as yourself. Last week, we talked about this. A divided people are a defeated people. A unified people are an unstoppable people. And our unification with one another is built on the worship of Jesus and Him alone. It goes so far deep into the burial of Jesus' body and into His resurrection to new life. If you are in Christ, this must have to be a priority for you. Lastly, we need to choose we over me. That's point number four. We need to choose we over me. In verse 15, in response to the injustice taking place, Nehemiah says, but I did not do so. I did not do so. You might ask the question, why? Why did Nehemiah not take part in this behavior? Well, the answer to that question, if you keep reading, is because of the fear of God. It was the fear of God that compelled him to step into the burdens of the people, to be empathetic with them, and to seek a solution for them. It was the right worship of God. And I want you guys to hear me because I think this is incredibly important. And this might be some of the turmoil that you might be feeling in your heart right now. Here's the reality. This does not mean that we don't have disagreements. Okay? You need to hear me. Don't, don't drive away in your car saying, well, Logan's lost his rocker and he says that we can't disagree. No, we can disagree. We can disagree. But it does mean that we seek to walk in the fear of God first. We disagree second. And when we disagree, by goodness sake, we do so with charity and Christian love. Two characteristics that for whatever reason seem to be a bygone thing of the past. And I cannot understand for the life of me why. What happened to the days where we could disagree and, and, and still walk away as brothers and sisters? What happened to that day? What happened to the day when, when you know what, we could still be for one another even in matters of disagreement? And so I want you to hear me on this. I want you to know this morning that right doctrine matters. Right doctrine does matter. Right? That's not what we're talking about here. The truth of Scripture matters. We're going we're gonna to do a whole sermon in a couple of weeks on the value of the truth of Scripture. Okay? Truth matters. The Scriptures matter. The Trinity matters. The Gospel matters. The truth of sin and salvation, of heaven and hell, all of those things matter. Those are real. Those are true. Those matter. Listen, guys, there are most certainly lines to be drawn in the sand, but then there are other secondary matters that are purely secondary 
that do nothing but divide and distort what God has called us to do. And we don't need to divide over those things. We need to be unified. But we need to be unified on what is primary, not secondary. And you know what I've noticed? Most of our bickering, most of our complaining, most of our disagreements are in the secondary category. And listen to me. You don't think Satan is loving that? You don't think he, he doesn't know that, that we're over here swimming in the shallow end? And, and he's winning the battle? See, every time we do that, we fail to be all in with one another, Satan's going, got him. Got him. When we should be swimming over here in the deep end, over here in good theology, right doctrine, and allowing these things to be the, one, the, be the things that unify us, and that's where we build our foundation. Okay? So, even Paul, Barnabas, they had their disagreements, they parted ways, but they always kept what was important, important, and that's the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's important. It's important. I want to close with this. It's a great letter. It's really cool. I, found, I don't know when I found this, but it was awesome. It's a letter written by George H.W. Bush, to Bill Clinton upon their presidential transition. Maybe you've seen this, but it's a great letter. President Bush, he writes this, Dear Bill, when I walked into this office just now, I felt the same sense of wonder and respect that I felt four years ago. And I know that you will feel that too. He says, I wish you great happiness here. I never felt the loneliness some presidents have described. He says, there will be good times. There's going to be tough times made even more difficult by criticism that you may not think is fair. He says, I'm not one to give advice, but just don't let critics discourage you or push you off course. And notice this, that you will be our president when you read this note. I wish you well. I wish your family well. Your success is our country's success. I am rooting hard for you, George. This profound letter got me thinking. Two men who see the world completely different. I mean, they could not be more different. And yet, at the end of his letter, President Bush can look at somebody who he vehemently disagrees with and says, you know what? But I am rooting for you. Because you're going to be our president. It got me thinking. It got me thinking. It's always a dangerous thing. What if we walked in the wonder of God's grace. We've talked about the office that you and I hold, that if you are in Christ, you have been chosen, you are holy, you have been adopted into the family of God. And what if we walked in that identity? That we lived in the office, that I'm redeemed, I am chosen, I am his son, I am his daughter, and we allowed that to, to, to drive our worship, to drive our sense of wonder and awe of who God is. And then what if we sought to understand and root for one another rather than immediately criticize? That we wouldn't be so quick to, to be critical of one another, but, but we would seek to understand one another. I thought, man, what if in the Christian family we realize that, that, that maybe we're actually all on the same team here even when we disagree. Understanding that it's okay if we disagree. And it's okay if we see things a little bit differently. But the point here is that we're all unified on the things that matter and we're moving the kingdom forward. What a witness that would be for our community. What a witness that that would be for our coworkers, for our family members, 
for anyone who is far from God, if you and I were truly united, even though one of our core values is unity and diversity, we can have a diverse amount of opinions, diverse amount of positions, but at the end of the day, we are unified on what's, what matters, and that is what's primary, and we're going to ride on that. What if we were so unified that the community looking in said, golly, why are they not bickering and complaining like everybody else? Why are they not at each other's throats like everybody else? What if we sought to be all in with God, all in with one another? Well, I think, I don't know about you, but yeah, that's a church I want to be a part of. I, I think that's a church that our community want to be a part of. And quite frankly, I think that's a church that the world would want to be a part of. So how about it? How about it? Amen. All right, well, here's what I want to do. I want to take some time, uh, just like we've been doing in a time of uh, congregational prayer. And so I want every head bowed. I want every eye closed as we go to the Lord. And I want to allow Him to do some work in our hearts. This morning, I want you to spend some time and I want you just to praise God. You should praise God that in Christ He has brought us together into one family. That we're not two, but we are one. As John 17 mentions that as Jesus prays for the people of God, He says that they would all be one with the Father. They would be, all, or they would be one with um, each other and that they would be one for the world. God, thank You that You have made us one that we are unified by the gospel. Thank Him for that power. Now guys, I just want to spend some time, I just want to ask you to, just to repent. Confess, repent of areas where we have allowed secondary issues to divide us from one another. Where we have allowed misunderstandings to divide us from one another or point fingers at each other. Let's just ask God, God, would you just unite us under the banner of the cross? Would you just unite us for the sake of all of those who will come to know Christ through our unity? That it would be evident for the community. That it would be evident for our workplaces, our business places, for our schools, for this community, God, that they would see that we are unified because we truly love you and we love one another.
So Father, we love You. We thank You for who You are. We thank You for Your grace. We thank You for our unity. God, we thank You for Jesus who unites all of us that that bond that that only Your blood could could make possible, God, that it unifies us more than, than any other tie on this earth. And God, I just pray that the world would see and that they would know that they would know us by the way we love one another, that they would know that we are yours and that what we say is true, what we believe is true, that it has the power to transform, that has the power to bridge all earthly barriers. God, I pray that you would make us one with you, one with one another, and one for the world. God, we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church, for, for loving me so well. I, I appreciate you in so many different ways. Um, you know, what's most important about our church is that we love Jesus, right? At the end of the day, what's the most important thing about our church and the reason why I love our church is because we love Jesus and we love one another. And you need to know that the God of the universe, the God of the universe has loved you so much that he would give his one and only son for you that his son came to give his life as a ransom for you and for me today, this morning. And so if, that's, if, if you're in this room and, and nobody's ever shared that with you, nobody's ever said, hey, you know what? The God of the universe loves you. When you were unlovely, the Bible says, when you were at your worst, the Bible says, Christ gave his life for you. And I want you to know that there has never been a better day for you to say, you know what? I want to be all in with that. And so if that's you this morning, Man, would you please visit with me afterwards? I would love, 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 nothing more than to walk you through what it means to give your life to Jesus, to pray a prayer with you that will change your life forever as it's changed my life and has changed many of the folks in this room. It will change your life forever. You'll never look back. I promise you, it's the most amazing, most wonderful offer that you could ever have to say yes to Jesus. So if that's you, would you please stay with me? I would love to talk with you. I got to talk with a young lady last week who's 14 years old, who came to our church, who said, you know what? I want to be all in with Christ. And we had a a great opportunity to celebrate with her last week, and and we would love to celebrate you as well. So if that's you, stick around. I'd love to talk with you. I know Hollingsworth and the group outside at the Connection Central, just out these double doors, would love to talk with you as well. If you want to talk about membership, they'd be a great group of people to talk with you out there. If you want to talk about baptism, we'd love to talk with you out there as well. And so we want you connected to our church. Okay, church, I love you. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for being a church that I want to be a part of and I want to be all in with. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.